Hello guys, this is uh, Dylan Nokel. This is the inaugural episode, inaugural? I think I pronounced that right, episode of the Pacific Exotics podcast. I'm Dylan, I'm 20 years old, a car car enthusiast through and through, growing up in Washington, and we also have Aditya. Why don't you introduce yourself? Yeah, man, my name is uh, Aditya. I actually lost you for a second there, so that's a great way to kick this episode off. Completely froze up on me, which is hilarious. <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, I'm Aditya. I, um, I run like a little drives group with a couple of friends here in uh, the greater Seattle area. I'm also a designer, work at a local tech company here. Um, lifelong car fan, lifelong tech-ish person, and uh, just in the cars and talking about them. So that's why I'm here, I think. Yeah, yeah. we have a, a lot of similarities. There's there's a lot more to know about both of us. Uh, I'm sure those will come out in in a lot of later episodes and possibly this one as well. Uh, what did recently just happen since we're based in Washington is the Seattle Auto Show, which was a lot of fun. There was a lot of cool things there. Avant's booth was good, as it always is, even though this is only the second year they've been there. They went over the top and did really, really good. And I've heard some things that they're going to do possibly different next year. I don't want to I don't want to spill their info, but it, but it should be really, really good next year as well. Um, some cool stuff there. I sat in a Raptor R. That was really fun. I was kind of excited about that because I just got to have a, a V8 in a pickup, and that was cool. Uh, there there was a bunch of cool back. things. Yeah. Um, there were the SVJ is there. Uh, that one's been a, the gray one at uh, Open Road. That one's been a local car for a while, and that one is now, I believe, for sale through Open Road. So that was kind of cool to see at the auto show. Uh, they had a they had a couple cool things from Open Road, even though they had they had no one from Open Road working in the booth. Like there were no Open Road employees no to be seen on a Saturday at the auto show. Wow! I so it was all just hey Adam and Chrissy, hold it down for us, sell us sell the cars. <laughs> well, they Avance is on the top floor, like they have just that top section. Did you go last year? Yeah. Okay. So yeah, they had the same I did, spot. Yeah, yeah. They had that same spot, and then Open Road was at the same spot they were last year. So they're on the complete other floor. They only had six cars, but they were they were at least fenced off, so you can't go in. And if you do, there's going to be problems. But it, it was kind of weird. Like if you're going to have a booth there, like have some, I don't know. It was like, yeah, that is weird. It was odd. <laughs> uh, but there were some cool things there. The E Ray was there, which I'm kind of excited about. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how that sells. I, as a Corvette fan myself, I thought I was going to be bummed because I thought it was going to be all electric. And I think that's what quite a few people thought. But having the V8 yeah. motor and, power the rear. Even, even in our group, like I feel like GM needs to do a little bit more in terms of making sure that they brand that thing right. Because a, like lifelong car enthusiasts that we both know think it's all electric. Like You have to go and correct people and let them know, no, it's not electric. It's actually hybrid. And I think that that's going to be... Mm-hmm. They need to market that thing right because you could potentially turn people off of it when they don't know. It's going to do brand damage for them, considering the Corvette buyer demographic typically has you know an overlap with people who are maybe not super EV first right now. They do, they do, and I, it's also interesting to see that it like performance numbers zero to sixty and quarter mile compared to the Z06, they're like damn near they're the same. <laughs> like they perform yeah. 
literally the same. I I would get a Z06 over an E-Ray, but but I could see a lot of people who would who would get an E-Ray over the Z06, and it, it really excites me to see GM doing something different on that platform that we haven't seen before. Yeah, it's probably a good it's a good way for them to start to create. It's like, hey, like we're not replacing our core product yet. Like you can still buy and drive and enjoy an all-gas Corvette. But for the people who are interested in learning a little bit more about like you know what hybrid tech can do for a a sports car like here's an option for you we're not just killing it like some other brands going you know diving head first into it mhm it, it's also exciting to see the the hybrid systems like being put to use i think i think how they should be like we kind of the 918 LaFerrari and P1 were like the first three to really do this and now we're kind of finally seeing it trickle down and being put into more. I mean, the Revuelto is kind of essentially the same idea as all three of those in the E-Ray. Granted, I don't know how much more MPG the Revuelto gets over the Aventador. And what's also interesting is the E-Ray MPG is pretty much the same as the Stingray, I think, if I'm not mistaken. Like, it is no better, <laughs> really, which is kind of funny. But but it's cool to see it put to use, and I think we'll we'll probably see a lot more hybrids in the future rather than EVs as, as people probably realize that maybe that's not the way. I don't know. That's a whole discussion for another time, yeah. but, but I think it's going to be kind of cool seeing like V8s and, and big motors paired with the, it's like the best of both worlds. We can still keep our big motors as car guys and have some electricity in there too. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's like, you know, I mean, I've been a proponent of, of hybrid cars for a long time. I think particularly, like you said, like since the 918 and P1 came out, I was like, hey, this seems like the right way to do it. Like you get to keep all the power and you get electric power to go with it. It's not all about just pure efficiency, although that's a good side effect. And like, I think the big one that's going to come out, we're, we're right on the cusp of it being announced is um, the new 911. The 992.2 generation is supposed to be um, a hybrid and that's going to be a really big one given like the kind of the halo effect that the 911 has on the sports car world also i'm really excited to see what it's going to be like like i'm not necessarily a i don't think i want a hybrid right now i don't want an electric car right now but there might come a day that that's what i'm going to be forced to drive um and i really hope i live in a world where manufacturers like gm and like porsche build sports cars that are still sports cars first, and then they use hybrid tech or electric tech just for um, making sure that they can still keep building cars within regulations. Yeah, the one the one that I'm really uh, interested in, I think maybe a little bit more, maybe the same as the 911, is going to be the new hybrid Miata, because I think they kind of both the Miata and the 911 are going to have the same issue when it comes to bringing in batteries, is like keeping the weight down. Because those are both very light cars. The Miata hasn't really gained much weight at all since the original generation. And now we're throwing batteries in here. I think if any brand can keep the weight down and make a good handling EV, it's going to be both Porsche and Mazda, which kind of ex- really excites me. And it also sets the bar really high for them, which is also kind of nervous. Like it needs to be really, really good. But but I could see a hybrid Miata being fun if they can keep the weight down. Cause if you can get like that low end hybrid torque out of the corners and still have a fun tossable car, that could be really, really, really exciting. I don't know how soon we'll see it, but whenever they launch the next gen, it's supposed to be that. 
I didn't even realize that that's what Mazda was gunning for. I didn't realize that the Miata was supposed to be a hybrid. You're right. Like that, that's a big challenge. And they've done a great, like Mazda has stayed true to keeping that thing light for a while. Like as far as I remember when the ND came out, all the news was that it was either as light or like a couple pounds lighter than the Miata generation before it, which is incredible because every car is growing. Like every generation of every car we know, like the 911 included, like every car that's supposed to be the lightweight car just grows and grows in weight and size every year. Like that's why I love the Miata is like they've mm. stayed consistent. So I'm excited to see what they do. That seems like a cool. Yeah, car look at a mini hybrid. from the '90s compared to a mini <laughs> yeah. now. It's not a very mini anymore. <laughs> yeah, um, so. I'm, I am curious if they're going to yeah. keep the manual because Mazda has said many times like we will keep a manual in our sports car for as long as we can because they understand their target audience. I think like most new Miatas are still bought in manual. Uh, a manual hybrid could be interesting. I don't think that's even. I mean, maybe there is one, but I don't think we have a manual hybrid of any sort right now. I mean, except for like yeah. Maybe semis, but yeah, yeah, yeah. The one that I'm thinking of, I forget if it's an EV or a hybrid is at like the highest possible echelon of cars is that new Koenigsegg that's, um, it's a manual and also an automatic where you shift your own gears and then you can shift it all the way over and stick it into, um, auto mode. I believe that that car is either an EV or... I know which one you're talking about. Hybrid. But... Yeah, I forget the name. I Honestly, at certain price points, my brain just starts to tune all the news out because I'm like, I think I'm a little too far away from <laughs> from being able to afford any of these things. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no worries. Well, well, while you're looking for that, the other one that I can think of, I saw a video about a little while ago, was um, Lexus was testing a uh, manual transmission in one of their electric cars. Although I think that that received some pretty negative press because it was also one of their, it was like a, a like a crossover SUV or something. And it had a yoke steering wheel and then also like a manual transmission, but it was like, it was basically a toy. Like the transmission was not actually connected to the drivetrain and it was sort of just simulating shifts kind of the way that a CVT does today. Like some CVTs like will do simulated shifting. Yeah. That just seemed really like weird and dystopian. It's like, here's a shifter for you. It doesn't actually do anything, but you can play with the stick in your car, <laughs> which is just, I, I really like hope. I, think, I, I do remember kind of hearing about that. Yeah. I really hope that's not the route they start to experiment with, because this is like the kind of thing that you notice from some manufacturers and actually a lot of them is like, they will make a, a decision to, they'll make like a cost saving decision or like a decision that's not really like in the true interest of a sports car, like see the 400z from from nissan like it had the potential to be a really great car but they launched it without i mean like same with the super they launched it without a manual and then i, I think the super did a little bit better and then like people waited out for it but I, I don't know they'll make a bad decision then they'll use the the low sales numbers to justify the fact that hey like we shouldn't be building sports cars anymore and that's what upsets me is like in the future we might not have sports cars because they are a really high cost for the manufacturer to build, but then they make the wrong decision. They don't want to put the actual money behind developing like the right pl platform or the like chassis for it. And then they say, Hey, look, people aren't buying it. People don't want a sports car. It's like, no, they want a sports car. You just didn't build them a sports car. You just built them an economy car without the right stuff in it. So I hope that doesn't happen, but I, I'm yeah. not hopeful. <laughs> I, I will say to, to piggyback off of that spending money on developing things that some people may not seem as valuable what excites me this is going to be a, a a wild throw out here, but Audi going into F1, I think, I don't recall what year that happens, maybe next year, 
or the year after. But Audi getting into F1 is sounds really exciting to me. I don't know what that entails as far as their whole brand is concerned. Yeah. But a new company in F1 is exciting. And as a recent new Audi owner, <laughs> I now have a team to root yeah. for in F1. So, <laughs> so that'll be fun. Yeah, that'll be awesome. Audi used to be an F1, sort of. And then Porsche was supposed to make a theoretical return to F1 also. And then there was a lot of back and forth where they would like maybe become the engine. Ma- they wanted to be their own team. And then maybe that wasn't being allowed. Uh, and then they were supposed to be the partner for Red Bull to build the motors for Red Bull, which sounded like a good partnership option because Red Bull is Austrian, Porsche is German. Like it seemed like a right partnership. And supposedly that's not working out either. So it, it'll be nice to see someone from the Volkswagen Audi group get back into F1. I think it's going to be good for the mm-hmm. industry and I think it's going to be fun for the sport. Yeah. Yeah. We need, we need some more fun in there. Some more people getting on podium other than the same person that's yeah. always been there <laughs> it's oh. starting it's starting to get boring like i've been a red bull fan but it's 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 getting kind of boring it really is uh, th- did you watch the vegas race that that leclerc overtaken the last lap was pretty freaking exciting yes yeah. yeah 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 he really went out for it especially i mean like they ferrari needed like a hail mary after a signs deleted his engine, but yeah, um, you know, Charles really, really, that was some good racing. That was like the fun that I miss seeing. Like when you have an obvious leader so far in the front, it gets boring, but when you bring competition back to it like that, that's what made it so much fun. Yeah. That, that was fun. Um, I want to change pace a little bit to the car market. Um, our, our Audi SQ seven sold today for 59,666, which interesting number by the bidder. Um, I hope, I hope we don't have problems later. This is kind (laughs) of, hopefully everything goes well with a number like that. I I feel like it was destined to be, I I looked at, uh, uh, the person who bid and he previously bid on a couple cars. One of those being a Tesla model S plaid and he bid, he didn't win it, but he bid 96,069. And I was like, this is my type of guy. Like this is the humor that I go with. So, (laughs) so this is. This is perfect. Yeah. Um, factoring in since cars and bids, uh, when you sell your car, you don't pay the fee. It's a, a buyer pays the fee up four and a half percent. They would be paying around sixty two k, which I think, all things considered, for the car market right now, I feel like that's a pretty good sell. There, there's a few of them for sale, uh, local, but they're sitting, they're just sitting at like sixty seven, sixty eight thousand, and they're not. They're not selling. They've been listed yeah. well before before we had even thought of really listing our car and they haven't moved yet. Yeah. Well, first of all, congratulations on the sale. I think, yeah, for sure. That was a that was a good number. It was fun to watch the auction. Um, auction sales are really uh, I think they're way more interesting to watch versus I mean, I know that like sitting on lots and like kind of looking at cars and inventory local to us is fun and I, I like to see it and, and take a look at it all the time, but um, something about the the like air of the competition right at the end of it, I think really is exciting. And I think you did a great listing too. Like Thank you. I remember someone in the comments specifically called out that like the pictures really made this ad. And like, that's one of the things about auctions that I think 
is kind of a differentiating factor because I look at the dealers local to us. Like I look, I'm not going to call out the specific dealers, but there's, you know, dealership that just opened up in Linwood that, that all of us are sort of familiar with and many other dealerships in the area. They put zero effort into listing their cars. Like they, I think a lot of them are riding the coattails of the, the upwards wave during COVID, even though most of us are aware that that, that trajectory is sort of on its way out. Um, and you see all of these listings with cars that are like dirty phone pictures, like there's dirt all over the interior and exterior of the car, like zero effort from, from high-end dealerships. And then you go to other local dealerships, exotic dealerships in the area. And, you know, like, I feel like it's a very low effort industry at the moment. And when you put in a little bit of effort like this, and then you pair it with like the sort of competition between people looking to buy a cool car, um, you, you end up with a healthy number like this that sells a car and, um, you know, it's, it's, um, it's not just sitting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And if, if you look at, uh, most of the listings on cars and bids, they, from what I've seen, I, I don't know what the average is. I don't have those stats in front of me, but, uh, a lot of them I see just have around like 130 photos, which is like, they just get everything that they need to. And that's that. And, uh, Doug DiMero has said plenty of times like photos sell your car especially when most of the times on these online auctions the buyer doesn't even see the car until they get it delivered to their house um i know a lot of people who will sell their car on cars and bids will just do their photo shoot on a phone you will if you spend eight hundred dollars and go out and get a professional photographer and i might be just a tad biased being an automotive photographer but i can guarantee you like if you if you go out and spend 800 bucks and go get a professional automotive photographer to photograph your listing for an online auto auction site like that and just let them go crazy for a day all over your car and get every little detail they can do, you're going to make that $800 back. No question. Easy. Easy. Yeah. I've, this is a trend that I, I'm so surprised that more people don't know about it because I've been selling stuff on the internet for a while. Like like I started with Craigslist when I was in college and then Facebook market became bigger. And like, I've, I've moved to that for like most things. And I, it like literally like during COVID when I had nothing better to do, I would go to Goodwill, buy some, you know, I would buy a bunch of Apple keyboards cause they just, the Goodwill and Ballard for some reason happened to have a bunch of them. They sat there and nobody was buying them. I took them home, cleaned them up, took some really great pictures in a light box and they sold immediately. And I, and I had profited off of those a whole ton. I've noticed this for years. Like I looked at when I, when I first wanted to buy an iPhone, I couldn't afford a new one. And I was just looking on Craigslist to see if I could find an iPhone. They're all kind of dirty and dingy. I bought my first one and it was just the pictures were really great. Like I could see where the scratches actually were and like how good or bad the the case shape condition was. And that's worked wonders for me, dude. Like over the, like cars. Yes. Like, like I, I'm not at your level yet, but sometimes I'll do a shoot for a friend to like sell a car and, and having actual pictures instead of iPhone pictures always results in a better sale. Mm. I've noticed it in every, from like the smallest, like I want to sell a phone, headphones, Facebook market listing to cars. It's nuts. People need to invest in this more. And like, it's very clear to see that it's working. They do. They do. Uh, The guy who actually had commented about the photos on my listing, I actually did a shoot uh, for one of his listings. It was a bring a trailer listing for a TTRS. And he had mentioned like a lot of the people in the comments were like, holy smokes, these photos, we love these. Cause that, that one was my photos included. Plus his photos that he got of the undercarriage were over 400 photos on a bring a trailer listing. Yeah. And I think, especially when you're selling a car online, mm-hmm. oh, dude, 
Absolutely. And a lot of people, um, and I was representing the SQ7 for my mom, and my mom had even uh, mentioned this at first, like taking pictures of specific uh, like nicks in your car, little imperfections and stuff like that. Like a lot of people might be turned off to do that at first. Like, oh, I don't want to show the imperfections in my car. Like, I don't know, let them find about it, found I'd find out about it later. But a lot of people are going to appreciate that like you just getting that um my mom had like never curbed a wheel in her life and she just so happened to lightly curb the front passenger side of the wheel on this sq7 on a yellow curb <laughs> which was unfortunate but it, it was pretty small it was it wasn't too bad it was like maybe two three inches long of a curb and, and you can barely see it but specifically getting those pictures buyers are going to see that and be like oh okay Here's the imperfection. There was a little scratch on the rear. I intentionally took two pictures of that from different angles to show that. Uh, people are going to appreciate that a lot better, especially if you're doing online auto auctions and then someone comes back and says, hey, this wasn't showing. Then you might get yourself caught in a little bit of a pickle and then you might not be able to sell a car on that platform again anyway because yeah. you're just misrepresenting the car entirely. Yeah. It's just, it's just good business, man. If you think about it, it's what do you, especially when you're buying a car online, if you're, you're, you know, you're a seller or you're, you're purchasing one, like what is the biggest um, deterrent, the biggest like hurdle to overcome is the fact that you can't see the car. You can't inspect it yourself. And as a seller, the best thing you can do is build that transparency with a potential buyer and that sense of trust. Because if you don't have that, then it's all just animosity between buyer and seller. And if you, and it's like good business is business for the long term. If you sell one car and maybe you hit some imperfections and you got a little bit more money for it, but now you can't do it anymore, I would consider that a loss versus, you know, being really transparent about it, listing a little bit lower to make sure that you're compensating and building that trust with people so that you can sell cars for the long term. Uh, and it's just good business. Like it's, it's, you know, if you ever go to business school or if you're, you're just used to selling things, like this is a, a very clear, like early step you know, show off those scratches, show off those scuffs. It goes a long way in letting a potential buyer know that this is someone I can trust because they're not trying to hide something from me. And I most certainly will will prefer to buy a car from someone if I can see the scratches and imperfections on it. I recently bought a car sight unseen. And it was like a very nerve wracking experience because all I had to go off of was the kind of mid pictures from the dealership. I had to get on FaceTime probably four or five times and really get the guy to like walk around and show me like, dude, shine a light at it. I want to see where the scratch could be. And I found one that was not listed on the listing or shown on the pictures. Um, and, you know, the more that you can do to sort of alleviate that, the higher your chances of making a better quality sale and repeating that success over time are going to be. I think that's what you and I probably think about and, and likely share that opinion. And I, I wish more people did too. For sure, especially considering the the car community, car world as a whole, is pretty small, and and word spreads pretty quick. So if you just if you don't represent well, people are gonna figure oh, it yeah. out fast. Yeah, absolutely. Um, going on about this, I don't know if you haven't opened the link in our little script. Uh, don't yet. If you have, no worries. But the WTF is the car market doing. The first link is a sell that rather interests me because I know someone who will be selling a very similar car, albeit a little bit better. It should go for a little bit more. 
but it was a 2011 Audi R8 V10 coupe gated manual. Um, 2011 was pre-facelift for the Gen 1. Uh, this car had 41,000 miles on it, so it got driven. Uh, but I watched this thing end, and it rather interest, interested me for how much it went for. Have you opened the link yet? Do you know how much it sold for? I have not. I'm going to throw a, a get. I'm like hovering right over it. I want to click it, but I'm not going to. Uh, what color was it? it? It was black. It does have the carbon side blades, which I believe for that year was an optional extra. Yeah. Um, it, only has one key, which for some reason people in the comments were like, what does it only have one key? I'd go buy another key if you can afford to get an R8. <laughs> and uh, what color is the interior? The interior yeah. is just a, it's just black. There's no, nothing real fancy about the interior as far as I can tell. It does have, I believe the base wheels as well. Uh, the Iron Man style looking wheels, I think. Um, okay. But yeah, yeah, manual, gated manual. Um, I'm going to guess D10, like maybe 80, 80, 85, maybe 80, 85, uh, more than that. It sold for 95, but I was like, okay, I'm going to open this now. Oh, wow. The fact that <laughs> okay, it really piqued my interest. I was like, holy smokes. This is as far as cars go. This is pretty cheap. I'd like, obviously $95,000 is not cheap, but a gated manual V10. Right. It's a V10. Yeah. It got driven, though. Um, also, with it being a, a pre-facelift, uh, that also doesn't make it worth as much. Um, I had a, a comparable, another a pre-facelift coupe, six-speed. Uh, had a better optioned wheels. Uh, I don't know how all the options really compared as a whole i think the interior looked kind of the same but this thing also had uh, a tenth of the miles on it, it had 4k miles um actually this was a, i just opened it up yeah. i'm blown away yeah by the price right? on that over too. double two hundred and ten thousand. <laughs> um actually oh. that would have been a facelift uh facelift that is one. yeah but you can tell by the lights yeah yeah that is my favorite gen mm -hmm. r8 too uh, but then even 4,000 miles, that's incredible. The other one that interested me was the pre-facelift Gen 1 6-speed. This one had 37K miles on it. Uh, didn't sell much sooner before the 41K mile uh, pre-facelift as well. And this one did not have the carbon side blades, which everyone loves. Like, you got to have carbon side blades on your Gen 1 R8, or it's not even yeah, on an R8. Car. Like, I would just throw it in the junkyard. I'm kidding. <laughs> but but this one, <laughs> yeah, this one sold for 116,000 miles. So within about three months or so, this car dropped three months and 4K miles. I don't know how much 4K miles brings down the price on a car like this. I I doubt much, but yeah. in three months, that car dropped 20K in value. Or am I doing my math right? No. Uh, yeah, yeah, just about. And, and if you think about it, it's like, it's a actually the, the one that sold for 95 is actually a, a, like a better optioned car. Like it, the, the side blades on R8s actually bring good money like people really look for that option on a first gen r8 mm -hmm. 
Um, there obviously are some standouts, like like the the two ten car that you sent me. I think is is particularly is like closer to a to a, a collector grade than someone than some of these other ones. And so I imagine it's sort of an outlier in the space, just given how in, incredibly low the miles are. Yeah. But I think that the forty one to thirty seven k mile, like that drop in in three four months, is um, is more indicative of what the car market currently is doing. I think for sure. Yeah. What What is exciting uh, about this that I think a lot of people are going to be excited about is, and, and Doug DiMiro has touched on this quite a bit recently, flippers are kind of gone. I mean, for most cars, obviously you can still do, if you have a 992 3RS right now, go make another hundred grand off of it if you want. But like, there's just not a whole lot that you can flip. Um, I mean, maybe gr corollas maybe but you're not profiting a whole lot even those are yeah it's just the i forget they have the, some special edition mm-hmm. freaking chorizo edition yeah with like the carbon roof or <laughs> that, whatever. Uh, might, might be a yeah 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 but you're right yeah there's not a ton of meat left on the bones of these cars as far as slippers are concerned i think that's honestly a really great thing i'm not the biggest fan of flippers at all um you're right some rare cars but like i just watched a video from uh, jm he's like based in the uk makes car reviews also um really fun guy to watch and he recently covered you know I, the porsche market is a little bit different in, in in europe as it is here in the us but i i think there's some similarities like he's seen a ton of four rs's sitting on lots watching prices depreciate a ton of um gt3 sitting on lots prices depreciating like dealers cutting 10 15,000 pounds every month or two and it's it's a, a global financial situation, especially as it relates to cars at this price range, I think is, um, you know, it's changing very fast. Like the thing I've been saying it like for a while is that the buyer of a 300 plus thousand dollar three RS is not maybe the most concerned with interest rates because they, I think, have the capital on hand to be able to buy those cars. And so the real like most expensive um, you know, cars, super hyper limited things are still going to sell, like you said, for a hundred K over even more, but cars that are a hundred thousand dollar car buyer is way more, um, suspect to interest rates changing what they can afford. And it's very clear to see the, the one sixteen, like the person who would have stretched 20 grand earlier because the interest rate was low is not stretching anymore because the interest rate is, is way too high. Yeah. Uh, there was a car I actually looked at for a buddy. A buddy of mine lives in Oregon, and he's looking to get into a new Huracan. And I looked at a car. It was local at a local dealership, great dealership. And it was a great car. And they had just bought it from the previous owner. Wasn't on trade-in, wasn't on nothing. But they're going, I wouldn't say going under because it's not a loan, but they're they're going to lose money on that car from what I heard. Just because of the time that they bought it and it's not worth it's not worth that anymore so i think it's good for buyers because there's going to be a, a lot of maybe not right this minute but maybe in the next couple months i think we're, we'll probably see a lot of a lot of good deals right now i think i, have, I mean i think for the buyer the sq7 even like i want to sound biased but a 500 horsepower suv for 60k still under warranty Good sell and good buy on both ends. So it's going to be. That's a good deal. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. No, I fully agree with you, man. Like, and for what it's worth, like, 
most of these dealerships are are their inventories on they're paying for their inventory like it's it's all financed through banks and banks are starting to put pressure on dealers who have been sitting on inventory for months and months and months and not being able to move cars to move cars it's just uh, the financial situation requires it and like the other thing that i see a ton of is at auction like that's a really good place to get an indication of what the car market is doing is wholesale dealer auctions where dealers buy a lot of their inventory cars are selling for nowhere near what they were every month we're seeing prices drop significantly like i remember rav4 primes being at, having adms on them yeah. uh, you know forerunners selling for incredibly high money like during the pandemic and if you look at what they're selling for at auction now a dealer will walk in you know they were asking forty thousand dollars you know less than a year ago at dealer auction for a car with a, for a 19 forerunner with twenty thousand miles they aren't getting 25 for that right now mm-hmm. that's a massive drop in in a year yeah that that forerunner market like that just boggled my mind <laughs> i did not i didn't understand it at all a five-speed auto that is like about as slow as walking <laughs> i don't get it and it, dude, they're 2011 cars with a screen in them for 2020 models. They're like, they're, it's a good car. It has, you know, it has, it has, it's a, a solid SUV, but it, it, you, it's not something you should be spending that kind of money on at, at right now. Absolutely no. not. There's way, way, way better cars for the money. No, but I mean, for their target market, I think they're great cars. Um, obviously worth a, a little bit less than they were going for, but if you don't care about, any extra tech and just want something that's going to last you past your birth, past your death and maybe your, your heir's death. Like (laughs) (laughs) it's perfect for that. Those, those are going to last forever. Yeah. Yeah. Your grandkids will be driving you to a nursing home and your forerunner that you bought. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) They, They might be the last running internal combustion motor car ever. The world is going to be taken over by forerunners. I wouldn't be surprised. <laughs> After all the EVs break down and, and it's just forerunners that are left. Well, that's why it's going to be towing all the EVs to their scrap lots. Mm-hmm. Just just a bunch of forerunners and their five speeds getting like 11 miles per gallon. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess I'd still probably rather have one of those than a Model 3, so... Yeah, I, get I don't. It. I don't know which one I'd pick. I'm gonna be honest. <laughs> Depends on the Model Three. <laughs> sure, sure. A performance is fast. At least they're they're fast yeah, cars. Yeah. Uh, as far as other auctions go, uh, we saw the the 250 GTO auction go. Uh, this was rather interesting. Yeah. Uh, everyone everyone posed for this one to be around 60 million dollars which if you factor in for inflation is roughly the same uh, if not just a little bit more than the last one that sold at auction the last one sold at auction for after buyer's fees and everything it sold for 48.4 and i believe that one was a full 250 gto still had the four liter in it everything Uh, now this one had a, a 330 iteration I, I didn't read up completely on all of it but essentially it raced with its four liter motor did really good and then after that after that race finished they put a three liter in it 
Now, I'm not entirely sure if it still had its 3 liter in it at the time of the auction, but I think that's what contributed to it not getting as much as they wanted because if you factor for inflation, this sold for less than the last one that sold. Yeah. Um, what is interesting is I don't know if this car came with both that four and three liter motor. I don't know if it just sold with the three liter motor. I know there was at one point a white one local to us and that one had both. It had a, I think two four liters. It had a racing version and like a street version, which can make that car worth more. If this one didn't have the four liter at all like that, I mean, that's what makes the 250 special because that was the 250. If there's no, there's no four liter with that. I don't know. It's also interesting how RM was, was branding the car. Like this whole tagline for the car was the one, which (laughs) it clearly, if you're in the market for a 250 GTO, it was not the one, (laughs) the one, (laughs) which, which was interesting. It's also really funny reading the comments about this car on Instagram, uh, 1320, did a post about the car with just the price in bold letters and like said, what do you guys think? And a lot of people were like, damn, $50 million for a car. That's never going to see the road again. Like for those that don't know the the owners of these cars, they do get driven. They have to get driven because if they don't get driven, they don't run anymore. And then they're not worth as much. Uh, they're the, yeah. The white one in Washington, that was driven a lot. I The one time I got to be around that car and ride in it, we drove it to Griot's garage while it was raining. So wow. <laughs> like, that was driven in the rain. <laughs> like these, these cars do get moved because they, they have to. Granted, they're not, they're not driven a ton, but the collectors that do have these cars their job is literally to drive them so they stay working and if these cars don't get moved they don't work and then they're not worth anything so these cars are not just sitting to not be enjoyed maybe one or two of them are which is encouraging it is yeah yeah there is again i think we've like talked about demirio demirio a couple times on this pod but he's you know he's pretty prominent in the car industry and he was talking about it he's like there it, there's people who've been who started investing in cars as an asset class in the last couple of years like people who were not even necessarily car people like there's you know like people who can afford to to, to bid 52 million dollars on a car like this um you would hope and think some of them are car enthusiasts others are probably not the one that you got to write in i i bet is uh you know knowing knowing the individual are are or huge car enthusiasts, and they'll drive it in, in situations like that. So I'm hoping the majority of, of collectors and the majority of people who can afford these things will continue to enjoy them. You're right. There's probably a couple that are going to sit in garages forever um, in collections. We turned on, ran for 20 minutes, and then turned back off. Mm-hmm. But uh, I, it sounds like this one is going to be, be driven. Yeah, it, it should, I hope. Um yeah, and then I mean, also those cars. What's what's funny about those cars? And one one thing I learned when I was around the white one, they they don't take regular gas. I don't know if the three liter would, but the 
250 that I was around took like basically jet fuel, <laughs> which was rather oh interesting. I had no idea. <laughs> yeah. Like they have, they had their <laughs> own pump for this car where it was stored. Wow. You can, they were like, no, no regular That's gas incredible. goes in this thing. I was like, that can't be cheap to run. Granted, if you're in that, <laughs> that echelon of owning that car, I don't, I don't think it matters, but that kind of boggled my mind. I was like, Oh, yeah. okay, we can't just go to the hop over to the shell station and the two fifty and fill up there. No. <laughs> okay. Uh, one, one hunch I did have about it, maybe about this car, about why maybe it didn't actually sell for more than the last one. I don't know. Obviously cars around like one to 5 million. I think they're going to sell no matter what the economic state of the world is, just because if you're in the market for that, it's you're in a different market. It doesn't matter. If you're in the market for a car yeah. worth 50 million, you probably have a big business that is dependent on the economic state of the world as a whole or can fluctuate depending on how the economy is going. And if there's, obviously I don't want to chat too much about politics or get into it, but if there's a lot of people that are like, oh, we might experience an, ec an economic crash in the next five years or a recession in the next five years, $50 million on a car is nothing to like flinch at or anything. That's a lot of money. And if we did go into a crash and then yeah. these businesses went down or something like that, you can't really sell that car quick and easy. I mean, this car has been in, in planning to sell for a long time. So that I feel like that maybe very well could be another reason as well as a lot of people have this thought of a, a looming possible crash at some point, even though no one really knows when it's going to be. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, you're right, man. Like I, I think at this time and, and again, like I don't, I'm not one of these people who has $52 million to spend in a car. So like maybe I'm not being able to think exactly from their perspective, but um, all things considered, I think from what I've, from, from people that I know who do have some money and, and are thinking about things like this, it's all about like managing your asset classes and investments. It's like, which ones are you going to hold and for how long and what are you buying with the plan to sell in the short term versus the long term? Like this car, I bet is probably going to like, I don't think that the, the person who's bought this is going to be selling it for the next likely decade. Like generally when you're spending this kind of money, they sit around for at least 10 years, but what else could you do with $52 million over the next 10 years? Like how predictable are economic cycles and markets? Like, do you want to stay liquid? Do you want to buy real estate? Do you want to invest in, um, in stocks or bonds with maturity rates into those years? I think that those people are probably like working with a, a lot of, um, a lot of opinions and a lot of like well-informed financial advice and are probably trying to like spend their money in other places as well. I think like given the state of the market and like you're saying like the potential for, for instability in the market, you know, some of them are trying to stay liquid. Some of them are trying to have cash on hand for financing reasons, or like if you, these people are likely business owners, like the real estate market, the, particularly the commercial real estate market has been, uh, you know, a little bit unpredictable. Lots of buildings are staying empty. Lots of retailers are moving out of locations that they were at and leases are sort of not being renewed. So I think it's just interesting to see where people with this kind of money are putting their money and like how it's going to continue to be spent. I was expecting more money for this car. And I think it's an indicator to say that, hey, like I think people are, you know, even in this category of investor are kind of thinking about where else they might use their money right now. But yeah, it should be fun. So 
to to sum this episode up, the car market might be getting exciting soon for people looking for fun cars. Hopefully, um, I I might possibly in the next year or two, maybe hopefully sooner, but we shall see. Uh, hopefully, in the market for another two door open top roadster to replace the poor the poor Miata that is now gone. Um, the, the Audi's fun, but nothing replaces that. So we shall see. Maybe, maybe, maybe I'll find a good deal on a Lotus Siege. Hopefully, super cool cars or a Corvette. Corvette, we love those. Those are those are actually the two the two on my list. Since I I really did uh, before before I'd wrecked the, uh, the the Miata, I really wanted a W two hundred four C sixty three AMG. Um, that was a little. Those costed a little bit more than the B eight and a half S four that I got. Uh, so I got that. So I have a four door now and I don't really have much of a want for a C63 AMG. I kind of just wanted that to be a good daily V8, even though it has zero miles per gallon. Yeah. You could daily it if you wanted to. Uh, <laughs> Ask me how I know. But, yeah. Right. Um, <laughs> but the want for a V8 <laughs> is still there. And so is the want for a two seater roadster. So the two possible next cars I think are either a nice Elise or an Exige or a C6 Z06. Yeah, both awesome cars. I think you're going to do well for having a V8 for your weekend car. A V8 and a half S4 is an awesome car. Mm-hmm. It's such a great motor. They're they're tunable. They're fun. Like I, I absolutely love those cars. My my ex skip manager has had two of them, and I think that's all he's ever going to be. He might buy another one. Um, <laughs> Yeah, Lotuses are awesome cars. Corvettes are fun. C63 is, I think it's a good daily if your commute isn't long, but it is, um, I was spending more money on gas on that car than I did on my actual car payment. So um, hard to justify the cost of dailying that. The 6.2 V8 is also just super thirsty. It is like one of the most characterful cars I've ever driven. Like of all the cars I've owned, that's the one I miss most. And I want another one of like, I love my 718. I don't miss it as much because my 981 is more fun. But the C63 was like maybe one of the most fun cars I've ever owned. And I miss it so much. So it's just a V8 is just like such a characterful engine. Yeah, I got I had to uh, drive to SeaTac today and back and I got damn near 27 miles per gallon. So I'm like, I don't, I don't really want, <laughs> you can't even dream of that. In no, you can't even dream of having a, a two in front of that with another number behind, maybe two miles per gallon. Yes. But not a two oh. and then another number. Yeah. <laughs> that thought is gone. Yeah. Best, best I ever did was in like sixth gear going downhill. And I got about 14 with the wind, of course, <laughs> with the wind. Yeah. Yeah. Nice tailwind to help. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you guys for listening. We will hopefully be back again next week, next Wednesday for another episode. I know this one's not being recorded on Wednesday, but it will be published on Wednesday. So thank you guys for listening and we'll see you guys again next week. Later. See y'all.